This message is called The Highway of Holiness. And uh, one of the joys of preaching the Word of God is that to bring you a word in due season, I get to dive into the word for all seasons. The Bible is a word for every season of our lives. Amen? Amen. It's not... Uh, it's not just something that uh, we turn to in times of trouble. It's something that actually discerns our hearts and our, 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 the intentions of our heart. It divides between soul and spirit and it accomplishes something in our hearts when we open ourselves to it. And one of the supernatural aspects of the Word of God is that it is just as relevant today to everybody on the earth as it was to the few that originally heard it and read it. When you think about, for instance, the scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah was written to a, a specific group of people at a specific time in the earth's history. And as a prophet to uh, the kingdom of Judah, there was probably only about a million people that that was written to and yet there is an eternal aspect to it that speaks just as powerfully to us today as it did to anybody then. And if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, as I do and as I trust you all do, then you must accept that it transcends culture, that it was given to change us that as the eternal word of God given through inspired vessels, it is eternal, it is immutable, it's not subject to change, it's, it's powerful to change us. And it is not to be modified to fit whatever the prevailing culture of the day might be. And today we're going to dive into a beautiful promise in the book of Isaiah we're going to look at its relevance to the generation that it was originally written to because it, it, it uh, spoke of amazing things. We're also going to look at its relevance to us. So I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to break it down a bit. And I believe that God is going to do something profound uh, in the lives of us as individuals but also the life of Open Heaven Church. And so in Isaiah chapter 35, we're starting at verse 3 and we're going through to verse 10. And this is what uh, Isaiah prophesies. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. 
but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What an amazing passage of scripture. What an amazing set of promises that God would step into our lives in this way and turn everything upside down. And what I want us to see today is that this is a passage of scripture with both an immediate and an eternal perspective. The immediate perspective is that it is written to God's chosen people not that long before they were taken into captivity and it was given through a prophet who lived and ministered among them. Isaiah had prophesied that judgment was coming but he was also a prophet of the redeeming promises of God and in this passage the promise of redemption was that they would be brought out of their desolate places, they would be brought out of their captivity and back into their promised land. They would be redeemed by God himself. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you redeemed in the house this morning? The eternal perspective is that it speaks of God's redemption of all of us from the power of sin, setting us free and putting us on a path to eternal life. We were destined for an eternity with our God and now we're destined for an eternity with him. And so I want to break this down into sections and I want you to get hold of what he's, he's saying to us now today out of this scripture. In verses 3 and 4, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Now, the immediate fulfillment of this was that God orchestrated the actions of a pagan, tyrannical king, Cyrus, to bring God's people back to Jerusalem from Babylon. You know, God can use anybody. You might look at the political leaders across the face of the earth and think that man is so godless, that woman is so godless, they are inspired by evil. And yet God can put things in their heart to do that they don't even understand it's him doing it and it's all orchestrated for our good and for God's glory. He will use whoever he wants to use. And the eternal perspective is that Babylon represents the captivity that we were all in before Jesus saved us. And these verses describe our weakness and helplessness before God stepped in. How many of us here today were slaves to sin? Every hand should be up in the house, may I suggest. (laughs) We were all slaves to sin. Now the Bible describes us as slaves to righteousness. Is that right? What a promise that we might be able to come out of discouragement, come out of depression, come out of despair and become strong again. Not strong in ourselves, but strong because of his might in us. 
And not only that, God promises to come in vengeance against whatever enslaved you and will recompense you for your suffering. Does everybody understand what recompense is in the Bible? In the Old Testament, if you stole from someone, you had to pay a sevenfold recompense. Whatever you stole had to be repaid and repaid seven times over. And in this principle, when the enemy stole from you, when you were a slave to sin, when you did things that were beyond your control because a, a spirit had somehow had an influence over you, God says, not only will I buy you back from the power of the enemy, I'm going to make him pay for what he did to you and you're going to receive a sevenfold recompense. This is the recompense of God that is promised to us. And this is a furious God. Don't ever tell me that God doesn't get mad. He gets mad for the most part on our behalf. Sometimes he gets mad with us. You ever been, you ever had God mad at you? <laughs> I'm surprised if you have never had the revelation that God sometimes gets mad with us. This is a furious God and he is filled with wrath against his enemies. And when you look at the book of Isaiah, you get an inkling of how angry and how full of wrath and how furious God can actually be. In the previous chapter of Isaiah, he talks about God's destruction of Babylon. Even though Babylon was raised up as an instrument of God's judgment and justice against Israel, God didn't say, oh, they're going to get away scot-free for what they do to my people. I'm going to take out my vengeance upon them. And in Isaiah 34, 8 to 10, it says, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. When he talks about Babylon, he says its streams, in other words, its waterways, shall be turned into pitch. Do you know what pitch is? It's like molten road. It's like molten tar. It's, and it's dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. This is the judgment and justice of God upon his chosen people's enemies. And this is actually pretty much what happened to Babylon. Earlier in Scripture, Isaiah prophesied something about Babylon specifically that is true to this day. In Isaiah 13, 19 to 20, this is what uh, God says about Babylon. Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride. The Chaldeans were the race of people out of which Babylon was originally formed. The beauty of the, the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You realise Sodom and Gomorrah are, are, are completely, will completely wiped from the face of the earth. He goes on to say, It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch their tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Now that's an extreme prophetic word against what was the greatest empire of its day. At the time that Isaiah spoke these words, the empire of Babylon had been going in one form or another for at least seven or 800 years. It was the most powerful empire 
on the face of the earth. And here Isaiah says, Such is the vengeance of the Lord against you, that you shall, when I destroy you, you shall never be rebuilt. I want to ask you this question. Was that word fulfilled? Yes. Does everybody know uh, what happened to Babylon? The greatest empire of its day, it was eventually destroyed and there's only ever been one attempt to rebuild it. Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild Babylon in the 1980s before the Second Gulf War and we all know what happened to him. If you're brave enough to travel to Iraq, you can actually go to the ruins of Babylon. But it has never been rebuilt and it never will. So God's vengeance came upon his people's enemies but I want to widen the scope again and look at the eternal perspective of what's going on here. When you see Babylon and the Chaldeans mentioned in Scripture, the Bible is not just talking about a nation or a race of people. Babylon and the Chaldeans represent the demonic realm. If Babylon has been destroyed, and it has, and it shall never be rebuilt, it won't, why is it that the book of Revelation says, Revelation 14, 8, another angel followed saying Babylon is fallen. See, even though physical Babylon was destroyed, it shall never be rebuilt. It's actually representative of the demonic realm. And eventually that demonic realm shall be entirely dealt with. Amen? And of course, the fall of Babylon in the book of Revelation makes no sense except that we understand that we are dealing with the spiritual realm because the physical has already been done. What a promise. The ruins of the physical Babylon that exists today stand as a prophetic symbol of the final defeat of the demonic realm. So we're going back to Isaiah 35 now. We're going to the next section. We understand that God has spoken. He's going to have vengeance on Israel's enemies. We understand that there is a recompense coming to the people of God. And then he goes on in verse 5 to say, Then, after this vengeance has taken place, after the recompense has been released, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. This is a picture of healing, deliverance and restoration. And in the immediate, God's people who had been blind to their own sin and deaf to the correction of all those prophets that God sent to them, had their spiritual eyes opened and their spiritual ears opened. And they responded when God took them out of Babylon and back into Jerusalem. They responded with the only appropriate response to God's correction. They responded in repentance. Ezra and Nehemiah led them into a place of repentance so that God's favour could come upon them. And as they responded, God began to pour out restoration. The wilderness became fertile ground. Springs of water gushed out. The land was restored. Let me tell you that jackals mentioned here in the habitation of jackals were each lay. Jackals love to live in ruins. 
They love to live in the ruins of things that have been destroyed. They are scavenging predators. They inhabit places of desolation and loneliness and abandonment. But here the prophet is speaking of restored life and he's saying that the places in your life that were barren, empty, ruined and desolate, the resting place of jackals, God says the jackals will be gone. Desolation will be at an end. You will flourish. And then Isaiah releases a beautiful prophetic picture of a completely new way of life. In verse 8 he says, A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. This is a way of life that is pure and it's holy. And I was reading this and I was thinking to myself, because it says there, um, whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. I was reminded that, In essence, the Christian faith is a very, very simple and straightforward one. We were sinners separated from God by our sin. Is that right? Jesus died for us and paid the price for everything we ever did wrong. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been set free. And we've had our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father restored. In essence, that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? And even though uh, we can dive into depths of uh, theological interpretation of Scripture, we can dive into the deeper things of the Word of God, every now and then God will pull us back to that simple revelation of what He's done for us in that incredible act of grace to put us on a highway of holiness and we didn't do anything to achieve it except respond to Him. He's placed on this highway of holiness where no unclean thing can walk. The highway signposts are clear. Anybody can understand the path. Nobody can go astray from the the highway of holiness unless they do it willingly. Is that right? Even a fool can see the road that must be walked. God places us on this highway of holiness as an act of salvation and mercy and redemption and grace in response to our repentance and that highway has a destination. In verse 9, no lion shall be there. You know that scripture that talks about the lions that encircle us looking for somebody to devour? When we're on that highway of holiness, lions can't come near you. Nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Do you know that's your eternal promise? That's your eternal destiny is that you would come to a place of absolute perfect peace. 
And the immediate meaning of this scripture is that, of course, Zion to Israel is the city of Jerusalem. To us, Zion ultimately means the new Jerusalem at the end of the ages, when everything, every sin, every pain, every sorrow, every tear has been wiped away, and we live in his glorious presence forever. Do you remember the moment that you stepped onto the highway of holiness? Do you remember the moment where the revelation hit you that Jesus had not just died for the sins of the world, but that he died for your sins? And you responded. Do you remember that? Lord, I want to thank you that that the words of Isaiah, the prophet in this scripture, were not just meant for that small group of people, the relatively small group of people to whom it was initially written. I want to thank you, Lord, that it was written to us. That, Lord, that you have released a promise over us that the destructions that the enemy has brought in our lives in the past are being done away with. That, Lord, in whatever area of our life the enemy took a foothold, you take those things out. And that, Father God, you restore to us sevenfold the character that was affected by what happened in our past. I want to thank you, Father God, that when we need inner healing for the things that have been done to us and the wrongs that we have suffered, Lord, you do not just restore us to that place of not having been damaged in the past, but you actually equip us so that we can minister that same healing to others. That the recompense that you promise us, Lord, the sevenfold recompense is not just for our sake, but for the sake of those around us, Lord, that you equip us with something that can actually set others free, that you come with such a beautiful revelation of your healing power that we can't, but we can't help but share that with others, Lord, so that they come into that freedom, they come into that healing. Thank you, Lord. You know, church, this is, uh, this is not a long message today. And we're actually going to uh, take part in a prophetic act in a few minutes um, that I believe represents a changing of season for us at Open Heaven Church. That God is uh, taking us into a new um, heart attitude of understanding what he has specifically called us to as a church, but reinforcing also to us as individuals that he has entrusted something to us. And uh, as I was preparing this message, 
I felt the Lord kind of take me uh, off the track of this particular scripture because he wanted me to understand something about this concept of redemption that we really need to get hold of. Because uh, all the way through that scripture, the, the, whole, uh, the whole thrust of the passage of scripture that I've just read to you and, and explained in my uh, perhaps not incredible way of what it means, uh, all the way through that scripture is this concept that a people who had gone astray by their own bad choices were redeemed out of those bad choices, supernaturally taken from where they were to a new place and given a whole new purpose. And we need to understand what our purpose is. And I feel that the Lord is asking for a response from us. See, the promise of redemption back from the power of the enemy in this passage of Isaiah is, of course, a theme that runs right throughout the Old Testament and finds its ultimate fulfilment in the New Testament. And as I, was, as I got to this point in what the Lord was asking me to look into, I felt the Lord take me to a specific uh, scripture totally away from the book of Isaiah, and it's found in Psalm 107, verses 2 and 3. And in that scripture it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You are redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You are no longer in the hand of the enemy whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. When I look at our church, I see people that have been redeemed out of the east, out of the west, out of the north and out of the south. Every compass point is covered by the congregation of this ecclesia of believers. And we have to understand that when we make a declaration that we are the redeemed, that we are now also open to the greater promise of the new covenant for the redeemed. Do you understand that the promises of God are greater over you than they were over the people at the time of Isaiah? Because by the blood of Jesus, you are no longer subject to just being pulled around by the temptations of the enemy. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you because you are not under the law that Isaiah was there to mediate to the nation of Israel. You are not under the law. You are under grace. And grace is more powerful than the law ever was. Because when you get a revelation of God's grace in your life, you understand that uh, by submitting your life to Jesus, you are open to the incredible power of God to be released through you in whatever way he sees fit. And instead of having prophets to the nation where uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them for a season for a specific purpose, now you are part of a prophetic people 
that you are all equipped to hear the word of the Lord personally for yourself. But here's the, the revelation that God was taking me into in this. In the new covenant, we are not just redeemed from the power of the enemy. We are given authority over it. We are not just redeemed from the power of the enemy. We are given authority over all of it. He has gathered us here from all the corners of the globe in part to exercise that authority. Luke 10, 19 to 20 says this, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You are on the highway of holiness. You have been redeemed back from the power of the enemy and given authority over the power of the enemy. Two weeks ago, I spoke from the book of Ephesians and how when you launch into spiritual warfare without a commitment to what Paul teaches in chapters 4 and 5, if you leave any of those doors open, the enemy has a tendency to kind of open that door and walk in and wreak some havoc. And it's been my experience that whenever I've stepped into any level of, of spiritual warfare and whenever you step into, uh, in particular, strategic level spiritual warfare, the enemy will come with a backlash. And there's, uh, there's something that happened in our city this week in the realm of spiritual warfare that I was involved in that uh, not only provoked, I believe, a fresh measure of freedom over our city, but I also caught the backlash. I caught the backlash big time. But I don't speak about this uh, to intimidate you away from spiritual warfare. I just believe that God wants us to walk very closely with Jesus, to very accurately represent Jesus to everybody around us. Who, who here has ever fallen over in that regard? <laughs> Lord, let the conviction of the Holy Spirit fall upon your people. <laughs> Because even though we are redeemed back from all the power of the enemy, occasionally the enemy sneaks in through that open door and he creates a bit of havoc and we repent before the Lord and God shows us the things, the doors that we've got open. We take the necessary repentance steps to have those doors closed. Sometimes somebody needs to pray for you and, and bind the power of the enemy over you. But God's intent is that even when the enemy wreaks a bit of havoc in your life, it all ends up being for his glory. Because if we are humble in that experience, God will take the experience to take us from one level of glory and transformation to the next. That's why when we experience setbacks and seeming defeats in our lives, we must be able to see those defeats and setbacks as steps to a greater victory. Because God intends a greater victory. 
He intends us to walk in total victory. He intends us to walk in the place where the jackals used to be and raise up crops. Is that right? The places that were desolate in our lives are supposed to be inhabited. The places where nothing would grow before, he intends to make fruitful. If you walked in the if you walked under the power of addiction in the past, God intends that you not just be free from that addiction, but that you walk in the authority to set others free from that. If you have walked in covetousness, if you have walked in sexual sin, if you have walked in any of those things, that the ways that the power of the enemy manifests against you, you're not meant to just get victory over it for yourself. You're meant to get victory over, uh, uh, over it in others as well. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let me hear a so. (laughs) So. Hallelujah. (laughs) I went into the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And I brought back enough for everybody else as well. Amen. (laughs) you have to get used to the idea that even if you don't like spiritual warfare you're in a war you might not like getting attacked by the enemy but it's part of your destiny i'm sorry to break the bad news to you but the enemy hates you he doesn't want you to walk in the fullness of what jesus died for you to have He wants you depressed. He wants you discouraged. He wants you to walk out your Christian life in despair and misery. But the Lord turns all of this around and enables you to walk in victory that others can see upon you. Um, I've... I've shared some of this testimony before and and, and I'm not going to go over the whole thing, but um, a number of years ago uh, when I stepped into this whole uh, area of spiritual warfare, I didn't really do it by choice. And there was a um, a very powerful um, apostle from Sri Lanka named Leslie Kegel who came do a seminar in one of the churches in our city and somehow I ended up getting the email invitation to that thing and I was just about to flick it to the uh, to the trash bin on my um, computer uh, email trash bin because I had no interest in strategic level spiritual warfare and then I felt the Lord say to me I want you to go to that I want you to take your leadership team with you and so um, God has used Um, us, God has used Open Heaven Church in significant ways to alter the spiritual landscape and atmosphere of the Liverpool local government area. And we have, he sent us into warfare over uh, the the rainbow serpent and the Aboriginal belief systems influence over the city. He, He sent us in 
to deal with things that came in with the foundation and city. He sent us into warfare over Freemasonry. He's taken us into all sorts of uh, different areas. And uh, recently, the Lord has been speaking to me about how for, uh, for the most part even in the Western church, uh, the church now has a defensive posture. We're trying to stave off the encroachments of the enemy. And we think we're doing a good job if we just kind of keep the world at bay and the world's value systems and the laws that they're trying to impose at bay. We think, oh, well, we're doing a pretty good job because we don't have to bow to this, we don't have to bow to that. But let me tell you, that's not what, uh, that's not what the Bible teaches us that we are to be doing. The Bible teaches us that we are to be discipling nations. Is that right? Is that what the, is that what the word of the Lord says? And so from a defensive posture, it's now the season for the church to go into an offensive posture because the scripture says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the ecclesia. Is that right? So I'm just talking Bible to you. You might not, you might not like the idea of going into warfare and you, there can be collateral damage and there can be all sorts of stuff that goes goes on in your life when you enter into this realm. But here, the word of the Lord says to us that we not only have been redeemed from the power of the enemy, we have authority over it. And I suggest to you today, very strongly suggest to you, that it's time we walked in authority. And you, you, could have, you might be here today and you've been in the kingdom two minutes. You already have authority. You already have authority. But the Lord also has a bigger picture in view, and that has He wants us to have authority over cities. You know the, the, the guy in the in the parable of the talents, right? Where uh, you know he he takes those talents that he's been given, and instead of burying them in the ground and refusing to do anything with them, he says, "I'm going to invest everything that I've been entrusted with." You know what his reward is? Authority over cities. There's a message in that for us. God wants cities upon the face of the earth that reflect his goodness, his mercy and grace. He wants cities of refuge where people understand the presence of God is suddenly, it's it's somehow there when it's not in other places. And I've gone to different cities um, and different nations and you go into a city and you can feel the demonic presence over certain areas. And in other areas, you feel like the, the place is totally open to the gospel. One of the most violent places on the face of the earth was Honduras um, in Around the 2000, 2000, somewhere between 2004, 2008, I, I did a number of trips to Nicaragua. And the first time I flew into Honduras with my cousin Amy, um, we'd just come from Nicaragua, which was the most depressing and demonized place. It was just such a horrible atmosphere. We came into Honduras and I just felt like this place was just open for God to do what he needed to do even though the city that we flew into was one of the most violent on the face of the earth at that time. And in fact, we went and ministered in what was 
the kidnapped capital of the world, a, 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 a city in the middle of, of Honduras called San Pedro Sula. And we went and ministered in this prison that had thousands and thousands of inmates, but they had churches in there. The churches were pastored by inmates. They had the power of God ministering in the, in, in, in the prisons. It was just an amazing thing. And so um, when God began to call our church to be a transformational influence in Liverpool and in the Liverpool LGA, he began to give us assignments that were challenging. The assignments of God are always challenging. They're always beyond what we can achieve in the natural. And the last thing God wants to do is transform the city by natural means, by man's ways. Because if we can do it, God's not in it. The transformation of the city that affects natural means is because God has done something supernatural and what happens in the natural is an overflow of what he does in the spiritual realm. So let me just reinforce to you that whatever your current sphere of influence is, no matter whether it's, it's small, large, in between, God has given you authority within that sphere and he expects you to exercise it. And as a church, he's given us authority in this city. I say that without a shadow of a doubt. And he continues to bring people to us who have experience in this realm. And he continues to raise up prophetic voices in this house that enable us to understand what he wants us to do now and what he, where he wants us to do it, how he wants us to do it. And it's never our intention to step beyond what God has called us to do because you're in dangerous territory. You want to be invading the enemy's territory in ways that God has asked you to do. You don't want to be just stepping out going, oh, I think I'll do this now because all authority has been given to me. I'm... You can get in some trouble that way. But let me tell you that if you're, only, if you're the only Christian in your family, you have authority in that family. If you're the only Christian in your school, your workplace, your university, in any sphere of influence, if you're the only Christian there, you have authority. And God wants you to bind and loose. Sometime in the near future, uh, I'll be able to share the full story of what God's done in the last few days in our city. Something significant was broken in our city in the last week. And um, there'll come the right time for me to share the whole story, but it's not there now because the, the, uh, the warfare is ongoing, um, but the victory has been won and we had a very, very strong, very strong confirmation of that particular victory. But... Uh, you know what the reward is for victory in battle? And you get promoted to a bigger battle. <laughs> we, need, uh, we need to be a people that understand that we have now been called to an offensive posture, that our assignment ultimately is to play a part in the transformation of our city. That God will use us in all sorts of extraordinary ways to that end. 
if we would just say yes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now and before they, uh, before they play, I want to take us back to this scripture from Psalm 107 and uh, I'm going to ask everybody to, to stand up on their feet and Ed, if you would come out and bring that shofar with you. We have never, I've never, as the pastor of our church, asked anybody to blow a shofar in one of our services. The little birdie told me that Ed, having joined our church, was pretty good with his thing. And God was taking me to this scripture for a purpose. Do you know uh, why the shofar is so significant? When Joshua led the people of Israel around the walls of Jericho, it wasn't because of their worship, though it played a part. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't any of those significant things by themselves. There was one moment, there was one moment that provoked the walls to crumble. And that was at the end of those seven days when they blew the shofars. They raised up a mighty shout and that city came down. Is that right? So let me just uh, remind you of this scripture, Psalm 107, 2 to 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north, and from the south, who here is from the east? Kerry, put your hand up. That's the east, right? Asia. <laughs> who here is from the west? I'm from the west. Who's from the north? Anybody with European background? Russian? Anything? Who's from the south? Anybody from South America? <laughs> and all points in between. Here's my point. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who's gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now God is saying that we, as this group who has been brought from the east, from the west, from the north and from the south, we're going to have influence out of this place to the east, to the west, to the north and to the south. And today, this is a prophetic declaration that Open Heaven Church is going to be part, a significant part, how, how significant is totally up to God. I don't care if it's a little bit or a big bit. We just want to be significant in what God wants to do in our city. Amen? Amen. And so uh, I've asked Ed to blow the shofar in all four directions, one after the other. And Ed tells me he's very good at doing that long blast. And I want that long blast to be accompanied by your shout of victory, each one. Now, in case you're confused about uh, directions, that's east, that's west, that's north, and that's south. And we're going to turn in each of those directions. He's going to blow the shofar, and you're going to raise up a mighty shout. Is that all right? Are you ready, Brother Eddie? All right. Are you ready, Brother Eddie? <laughs> Hang on, bro. I'm going to give you the mic and everything. Let's raise the roof off this place. So, Lord, as we turn toward the east today in this prophetic act, 
We declare the invasion of the kingdom of heaven over the east of Liverpool in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn to the west, the opposite direction. And Lord, we declare as Brother Ed blows the shafar that the kingdom of heaven is invading the west of Liverpool in Jesus' name. I'll tell you something else significant that we are almost in the geographic center of Liverpool in this church. We're going to turn to the north, and it's going to blow, and you guys are going to shout in Jesus' name, Lord. We declare that the west of our city, in particular Miller, Lord, is being transformed by the power of heaven today. We turn to the south and we declare in the name of Jesus that there is an invasion of the kingdom of heaven of the southern areas of Liverpool in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. 